Would you guys turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3? Um, 1 Peter chapter 3, as you guys hopefully know, we have been walking our way through um, the book of 1 Peter in these weeks together, both late winter and into early mid-spring, and we continue our march today in chapter 3. And in many ways today, we pick up, pick up where we left off last week. Um, if you were here last week, we looked at Peter's instructions to husbands and wives. At the end of that section, we talked about how Peter begins to zoom out in some ways to speak to relationships within the whole of the Christian community. And that is where we pick up here today. Peter's going to take his glance beyond slaves and masters, beyond husbands and wives, and begin to talk in general to everyone within the Christian community. So 1 Peter chapter 3, there's a larger section in your worship guide, and part of that we'll pick up next week. So I'm going to be reading verses 8 through verse 12. So that'll be our sermon text for tonight. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to verse 12. Would you listen closely and carefully um, to this God's very word to us tonight? Peter writes, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask in this moment that you, by the power of your spirit, would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, would you be our teacher? Would you shine light on these words that are in your word? Lord, would you use these words and the words that I prepared, Lord, to do two things? Lord, would you take them and shape Grace Fellowship more into the people you'd have us be? Lord, we ask that you'd also use them to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus. So Lord, that's our prayer. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So five years ago today, okay, April 18th, 2016, I was serving at a church in Birmingham called Mountain Brook Community Church, 
and it was their 8.30 a.m. service at Mountain Brook Community. And five years ago today, I was brought up on this platform at Mountain Brook Community for this announcement to be made that I would be leaving my ministry role there to take a new ministry role. So that announcement was made. Mandy and I hustled out of that church service that was still ongoing to get in the car to drive across town to Avondale, where we came into a worship service there and were brought on the stage for an announcement to be made at that church that I would be joining that church's team to begin a new ministry role. And then we hustled out of that worship service that was ongoing to get back over to Mountain Brook Community for the 11 o'clock service there, where we were brought up on a platform to be tell that group of people that I would be leaving the job that I had there. So then, then we could leave that worship service while I was still ongoing to get back across to Avondale where we were brought up on the stage again and told a group of people that I would be then taking up a new ministry role. So that church was Mount Brick Community. The church across town was Redeemer. And the church slash ministry role that I would be taking up is us in Grace Fellowship. The process of Grace Fellowship being begun began five years ago today. And because I'm a little bit of a dreamer, as soon as those announcements were made, my heart and my dreams began to flow toward this thing that God has given us called Grace Fellowship. I began to dream about what we could be together. I also began to try to think soberly about some of the challenges that I felt like we would face. So I'm going to give you a few of the challenges I first saw five years ago. So one of the big challenges I first saw was just facility challenges. Um, I knew we were going to be playing a church in Over the Mountain, Birmingham. I knew that real estate property rental values and things like that were very, very high. And I wasn't sure if we'd be able to find the right location that would uh, be a place where we could have a church home. I wasn't sure what any of that was going to look like. I mean, I certainly didn't imagine that we would need, you know, outdoor space and indoor space and all the things that have transpired. Another challenge that I imagined, and this was something that pained my heart, but I knew because I was young, okay, 33, 34 at the time, I knew that our church would probably be mostly young, which meant that I knew instinctively our church would be disproportionately transient. In other words, people would be with us for a few years, and then the Lord would call them to move away. And I knew that that would really pain my heart and my soul to pray for people and to be in people's living rooms and hospital rooms and to be thinking about them and bear the weight of caring for their souls. And then the Lord calls them to go move away. That has happened somewhere around here, by the way. It's painful. I also foresaw that we'd have to go through so many changes. Think about this for a second. Just like a baby changes drastically from birth to six months, and even more from six months to one year, and even more from one to three, and even more from three to five, I knew that grace would be constantly changing. And one thing I've learned about people recently and <laughs> is that people don't do great with change. I don't know if you've noticed that. I kind of thought y'all laugh a little harder at that point. <laughs> 
Maybe a, another challenge that I anticipated was, and this is a hard one to explain. I knew in some ways I'd be a challenge because in case you didn't know this, it's a good time for you to know that I've never done this before. I've never been the pastor of a church before. And because I've never done this before, I knew that would be hard because see, pastoral work, by the way, is not about having like talent as much as it is, is about honing skills getting reps, doing things again and again and again. And I knew because I was a young pastor that I wouldn't really necessarily be great at those things very quickly. That pained me. But one of the main challenges that I foresaw and that our leaders began to pray for right away, and it's the challenge that Peter brings before us tonight. It is the quintessential ultimate challenge of any Christian community. It was the greatest challenge for Grace Fellowship five years ago. It's the greatest challenge for Grace Fellowship today. And it was the greatest challenge for Peter and his hearers in places like Pontus and Cappadocia and Galatia and Bithynia. And it was this challenge of learning what it means to love one another. You see, Jesus said to his disciples one time, it is by this that the world will know that you are my disciples. And when he says this, he doesn't mean talented preaching. He doesn't mean really good music. He doesn't mean tremendous strategic thinking. When Jesus says, by this, the world will know you're my disciples, he finishes that sentence by saying, your love for one another. It will be your love for one another. It'll be by that that the whole world will know that you are my disciples. And in this passage here tonight, Peter, I think, gives us a basic primer In other words, a basic guide to how a Christian community ought to treat one another. The way I am thinking about this tonight, just for the sake of clarity for you all, this is the main thing I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else I say, this would be the thing I want you to hear. Peter's trying to get his audience to see that in Jesus, there is a better way to relate to one another. It's a better way. It's better than the way of the world, the wisdom of the world and what it would say. It's better than kind of the spirit of our age and the way in which we'd be deceived in relating to one another. It's an invitation, actually, according to Peter in this text, to life. I don't know if you heard when I read it. Peter quotes from Psalm 34 and says, whoever desires to love life, So Peter's going to lay out for us a path that is better, that's life-giving. So that's what we'll look at this afternoon. I kind of imagine Peter's words here almost like a very rich and filling meal. There's a lot here. There's a lot to think about. And so I want to kind of plate this meal for you in a way in which you can eat it tonight. Okay, and I want to do this in three ways. I mean, if I had to create an alternate title to tonight's sermon, I would call it Five Virtues, One Sobering Reality, and an Invitation. 
I'm not known for my uh, brief titles, okay? So five virtues, one sobering reality and invitation. We're going to talk about these five virtues that Peter lays out. One sobering reality, I think, that he subtly warns us about. And then we're going to do our best to hear an invitation from him. The five virtues will be the bulk of what we see together. Um, the sobering reality and the invitation will be just a couple comments I'll make. So let's look at these five virtues. Five virtues of a Christian community and the way in which they treat one another. Look at with me at verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Virtue number one here that Peter lays out is unity of mind. Some of your translations might read like-mindedness or be like-minded. This first virtue, unity of mind. Let me see if I can explain a little more what this phrase means in the New Testament sense, unity of mind. It, it literally means share the same mind. Okay? Share the same mind. Now, of course, this does not mean that in a Christian community, everyone will agree with one another all the time. But the call here is to share the same mind. In other words, submit to the same goals. Pull in the same direction, we might say. It has to do with yielding, perhaps, to the greater goal of the community perhaps yielding preferences, being, generally speaking, agreeable, cooperative with one another. One of the great gifts of being a human person in this world is that you can actually disagree with others, yet still be agreeable in posture, in tone, in demeanor. And that's what Peter is calling these Christians in this difficult circumstance to be like-minded, to pull in the same direction, to submit to one another toward the same goals, to yield to one another, to be agreeable. See, as pressure and as persecution is beginning to set in, Peter so badly does not want them to turn against one another in divisive ways, so he encourages them to be like-minded. Now, of course, as I'm explaining like-mindedness, it should be obvious to you that this is exactly opposite of the wisdom of our world. This is exactly opposite of what the spirit of the age might tell us. The spirit of our age would say something like this instead. Be argumentative. Be contrarian. Be disagreeable. No matter what, make sure you find a way to have the final word in every argument. According to the way of our world, you have to always be right and to show everybody you're right and to use your being right as a weapon to wound others. Yo, I still remember where I was sitting when someone who loved me looked me in the eyes and told me, Joel, do you realize you don't always have to be right? And to that point, I had not realized that. I thought I always had to be right, and I thought everyone always had to know that I was right. And I had to speak, even at an elevated tone of voice, to say the things so they would know I was right. 
Peter is saying, there's a better way. There's a better way of being alive. There's a better way to love life. There's a better way to experience the goodness of God. See, this demeanor of being argumentative and contrarian and disagreeable and always having the last word and to use your being right to wound others, that is so unbelievably exhausting. And I know some of you are here tonight and you are weary from drinking in the world's wisdom. You're weary from taking up such a contrarian and argumentative spirit all the time. And Peter says here, be like-minded. It's the first virtue. Look at the second virtue. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. The second virtue, sympathy. Peter wants his hearers to be marked by sympathy. Now, what does this mean? What does the word sympathy mean in a New Testament sense? You know, in the English language, when we use the word sympathy, I think we tend to mean pity. Like, oh, I feel so sorry for you that you're in this situation. But see, the New Testament sense of this word is something much more full and even costly. It has to do with the fact that you share a love for Jesus. And because you share in Christian community a love for Jesus, that automatically spills out to a costly love for one another. Sympathy in the New Testament sense is being able to enter into and feel the pain of others. See, it's a costly thing. It comes at great cost to yourself. This is what the Bible teaches us Jesus did, that he was our sympathetic high priest, that he entered into our situation to feel what it feels like to be us, so much so that he goes to the cross for you and me. Sympathy has the idea of understanding another's perspective and it moving you in love toward them. Of course, as I explained that, you automatically know it's exactly opposite of the spirit of our age. See, the way of the world and the world's wisdom and the spirit of our age would tell us something like this. Well, it's, it's not your problem. The spirit of our age would teach us to be indifferent towards the pain of others. Y'all, I saw this video, it was this news video that had been um, captured in New York City. It was from a security camera inside a store. And right outside of this store, there was an old elderly lady who was passing on the street. And someone came up and supposedly yelled something um, derogatory toward her and began to kick her and beat her. It's captured on this video footage. And in that moment on the video footage, you see the security guard inside of the store watching this attack happening. And you see him walk up to the doors and you see him close the door and turn and walk the other way. It's not his problem. And what Peter is saying is that within the Christian community, it is your problem. The pain of others is intended 
to be understood by you in such a way that it would be painful, even in your own heart, to see the pain of others. Now, this does not mean that you're the one in particular that's supposed to be the hero to solve everyone's problems, but it means that together we share the burden for each other in ways that are costly to us. Peter says, have unity of mind, sympathy. Virtue number three, he says, brotherly love. The idea here is familial love, the kind of love that siblings share. It could be translated um, brotherly or sisterly love. The idea is that the love that you have between people you are kin to that that is the kind of love that you should share within the body of Christ. Because in a very real way, more real actually than the bonds of your own family, you and I are bonded to each other in Jesus. A family bond. Family bonds, by the way, are particularly strong. Family bonds, by the way, are not particularly perfect. See, a family bond is unique in the sense that you are stuck with that person. I don't know if any of you guys don't, you don't have to raise your hands or anything, but do you feel particularly stuck with someone in your family? Don't answer that. In other words, it's a kind of love that goes beyond the kind of people we would have chosen. It's the kind of love that goes beyond kind of people we would have maybe preferred. Peter wants his hearers to know that there is life to be found when we love one another like family. Now, of course, again, this is exactly opposite of the wisdom of our world. The spirit of our age would whisper a different thing to us, right? The spirit of our age would say, if there is someone you don't necessarily prefer, then edit them out of your life. Dispense with them. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and then this fourth virtue, a tender heart. A tender heart. In the New Testament sense, a tender heart is a vulnerable heart, a heart that has been opened up in such a way that it's open even in such a way that it can be hurt and wounded. A tender heart in the New Testament sense is a woundable heart. It's the idea that we give ourselves for one another in such a way that we feel it really deeply. This word is actually connected to the word for guts in the New Testament. It's like down in the depths of who we are, we stay tender and open and vulnerable to one another. So much so that it can be painful for us to live that way. And of course, this is opposite of the wisdom of our world, isn't it? The wisdom of our world would say to wall off and guard your heart against others. And just like, just like feeling like we have to always be right leaves us exhausted, in the really similar way, being walled off 
toward others, editing and dispensing with others, being indifferent to the pain of others. It leaves us so lonely and it leaves us so disconnected. And Peter is telling his hearers, there is a better way. There's a better way than the pain of loneliness and disconnection and isolation that maybe some of us tonight here might even be feeling. There's a better way. There's a better way to be alive. There's a better way to taste of God's goodness. And the last virtue, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and finally, a humble mind. A humble mind in the New Testament sense is just quite simply the ability to lay aside ourself for another person, to be able to respond to the needs of someone else, to be able to lower ourselves in humility to serve and to love rather than taking the path of constantly exalting ourselves. You know, Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, that's perhaps the best example that we have of this humble path. We're told in the gospel of John that Jesus, having loved his own, meaning his disciples, he loved them to the end. And we're told that the father gave everything over to his to all authority had been given over to him. In other words, Jesus is at his moment of greatest triumph. And the next line says, and having risen from dinner, he took a towel and got a basin and wrapped it around his waist and he bends down to wash his disciples' feet. This is what the New Testament means when it says a humble mind. And of course, a humble mind is precisely the opposite of what our world would teach us. See, the spirit of our age would tell us to build up our own platform. The way of the world would teach us to look down on others with pride. And the truth of the matter is, is that prideful posture is destroying some of us here tonight. Pride is a unique, nasty viper. And it will destroy you. And Peter is pleading with his hearers, there is a better way. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. These are five virtues. And now Peter gives us a sobering reality. I think it's a little subtle, but listen. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Peter is telling his hearers to prepare themselves because if they live in this better way, even though it's a better way, it won't necessarily go very well. That reviling might come. Reviling means insult. That evil might come our way. In other words, as we take up this posture it won't win us necessarily friends all the time. It won't be pleasant. It might be very painful and it might be painful even within the body itself. In other words, we will fall short of this ideal and hurt and wound one another even in our pursuit of it. 
Therefore, forgiveness and repentance will always be a hallmark of Christian communities. The sobering reality, and this is what Peter will go on to explain in the text that we will look at next week, to live even in this better way will mean enduring through difficulty and suffering. Finally, I want to make sure you catch this invitation. Peter ends in verses 10 through 12 by quoting from Psalm 34. That was the scripture that Thomas read to begin our time tonight. And Psalm 34 is a classic psalm that celebrates the goodness of God. Look what Peter says, whoever desires to love life and see good days. Y'all, we have all kinds of different preferences around here. We have different desires around here, but there's one thing that I think all of us share, and that is a desire to love life and to see good days. And Peter is saying that if we want to love life and see good days, then taking up this better way is the path. See, it's an invitation to joy. It's an invitation to blessing. It's an invitation to being alive. You and I have a tendency to think that God's commands to us are burdensome and they just aren't. They're an invitation to joy. They're an invitation to love life and to see good days. Now, as we conclude tonight, I have to tell you, I'd be remiss if I did not tell you that these postures and these attitudes, unity of mind, sympathy, family kind of love, tender heart, vulnerable hearts, humble minds toward one another. I'd be remiss if I did not tell you that these are not attitudes that we can conjure up by ourselves. But instead, these are things that Jesus has won for us. It's a path that he has walked, that he has paved the way. Jesus is the way toward these good things of God. And as we come to this table tonight, we're reminded that we share a bond together in Jesus. Holy communion is called communion because the idea is that it's a celebration of the bond we all share in Jesus. See, the scriptures teach us that Jesus shed his blood on the cross to purchase for himself a people. And his finished work for us on the cross creates us into the kind of people that can love and that can take up this better way. So these are the truths tonight that bring us to this simple bread and this simple wine. Lord, we do not come to this table on account of our own righteousness. Lord, we are those who, rather than having unity of mind, Lord, we seek our own way. Rather than brotherly love, Lord, we often are not willing to lay ourselves aside for others. Rather than being sympathetic and entering into each other's struggles, we stand at a distance. Lord, rather than being understanding and vulnerable and open with one another, Lord, we're often closed and guarded. Lord, rather than taking the path of humility, we take the path of pride. Lord, but we thank you that in spite of those things about us, that you are the God whose very character is to have mercy on sinners, to save us, to renew us by the power of your spirit, and to give us a better way to live. 
So, Lord, in celebration of all these things, we come. Lord, we ask that you would use um, this table and the time in which we celebrate, that you would use it to restore, renew, Lord, give us great hope. Pray these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.